Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Welcome back, everyone, to my final podcast of 2021, where we'll look back at the big financial events of the year and the lessons that we learned. After 2020 was mostly lost to the COVID pandemic, we started 2021 with quite a bit of optimism. Vaccines were about to be rolled out, economies were expected to recover, and a new president was about to be sworn into the White House. Despite all of the optimism, many of us found ourselves slowly learning the Greek alphabet as new COVID variants emerged. 2021 was not an uneventful year. We had meme stocks, SPACs, hedge fund blowups and the mainstreaming of crypto. The stock market went from strength to strength this year. As global economies bounced back, supply chains buckled because of shortages either of goods or of people to deliver them. The squeeze on the labour market pushed up wages and the press was filled with tales of the Great Resignation. We saw soaring oil and commodities prices and the collapse of Chinese property giant Evergrande. But none of this could derail investor exuberance. Stock markets and house prices took off in 2021. In the world of geopolitics, the first big story of the year was Brexit, Britain's withdrawal from the EU. On top of this, the tensions between the United States and China was a big theme and may remain so in 2022. As the year comes to an end, Russia's intentions towards Ukraine are raising concerns worldwide. 2021 was a big year for IPOs. 1,058 companies went public over the course of the year. As crypto went mainstream, we saw every social media influencer launch their own coin or NFT project. So let's look back at some of the biggest stories of the year. Okay, so while Brexit should have been the biggest financial news in January, a much bigger story was the GameStop saga, where a mostly unremarkable video game retailer became the most talked about stock of the year. What began as an online discussion on untapped value months earlier turned into a crowdsourced effort to squeeze out the short position held by Melvin Capital, an American hedge fund. The momentum fueled by social media memes attracted hundreds of thousands of new traders to the stock market in 2021. The scale of retail investor participation in the GameStop rally was truly amazing. The number of individual accounts trading GameStop rose from around 10,000 people per day in early January to nearly 900,000 different accounts at the peak of the frenzy on January 27th. Many of the traders were small accounts using app-based brokers like Robinhood. The median Robinhood account balance, according to the SEC earlier this year, was $240. But when almost a million small accounts started trading together, they had a huge impact. A number of undercapitalized brokers were forced to curb trading in the heat of the frenzy, as they couldn't meet their margin requirements. Robinhood, one of the most popular brokers, required a cash injection from shareholders. 
The disappearing buy button on trading apps led to a lot of investor anger, much of which was directed towards Ken Griffin, the owner of Citadel Securities, a market maker that executes a large share of orders submitted by Robinhood customers. Retail investors suspected the firm of wrongdoing, as Ken Griffin, the owner of Citadel, was also an investor in Melvin Capital, the hedge fund that was short GameStop. GameStop investors refer to him as Kenny G in online discussions, and this led to one of my favourite stories of the year, as angry GameStop traders were bombarding the soft jazz saxophonist Kenny G with angry messages on Twitter, mixing him up with Ken Griffin. The GameStop short squeeze led traders to hunt for similar companies with high short interest, and we saw all sorts of stocks taking off throughout the year. The terms diamond hands and to the moon are standard trader talk at this point. In the SEC report on meme stocks that came out in October, the SEC found more than 100 stocks with unusual trading activity tied to online message boards. And by May, AMC, the movie theatre company, was the hot meme stock. Many people, myself included, thought that these short squeezes would end quickly, a lot like the Volkswagen short squeeze from back in 2008. But as of today, many of these stock prices are still extremely elevated. The meme stock traders have not given up. One way to think about meme stock mania is that many of the companies were just bad businesses, as evidenced by the losses that they were racking up. But once their stock prices were pumped up, they had a whole new opportunity set. AMC was able to raise capital and buy up other movie theatres, doubling down on their existing business model, with the idea that business conditions would improve, hopefully after the pandemic ended. GameStop, on the other hand, said that they would transform into some sort of tech company using some of the money that they raised by selling stock to hire in an executive team from Amazon. The best example, though, of a meme stock pivoting to a new business was Naked, an online underwear and swimwear retailer, which became a meme stock this year. The company took the opportunity and raised $150 million through issuing new stock and then quickly transformed into, let me check my notes, an electric car company. Fair enough, it it makes sense. Underwear to electric cars, a, a natural transition. Meme stocks taught us, though, in 2021, that a good CEO is one who knows how to behave strangely on social media to boost the stock price and then adjust the business plan to include either electric vehicles or cryptocurrencies. In fact, I'm told that Harvard MBAs are taking courses right now on how to accidentally reveal that you're not wearing trousers during a televised interview in order to boost the company's stock price. The lesson for executives is clear, adapt or die. February 2021 was a busy news month too. It started out with a coup in Myanmar, which we got to watch occur in the background of an aerobics video streamed live on the internet. Truly the best way to watch world history unfold if you're easily bored. February was also the month when tech billionaires began tweeting about doggy coin, sparking a huge rally. It was really at this point that the smart money realized that you just have to monitor Elon Musk and his Twitter feed in order to make money in markets. 
Bitcoin remained the go-to product for investors dipping their toes into crypto this year. Gold had a bit of an existential crisis, abandoned by the people who worry about inflation and money printing in favor of Bitcoin. Gold fell around 4% this year, while Bitcoin was up more than 60%. In 2021, gold looked like an analog product in a digital world. Meme coins, a loose collection of coins that have their roots in internet culture, were of course the most exciting investment of the year. In 2021, we were introduced to the Dogecoin millionaire who went all in on the dog-themed coin based upon Elon Musk's tweets. He turned $250,000 into $2.5 million early this year. For a month or two, he was all over the news explaining his research methodology. Today, he's back to being a Dogecoin thousandaire, but who knows what might happen next. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, you. Yeah, you listening. Do you like personal finance or real estate? Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? Then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor, Sage Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast. One of my hopes for 2022 is that my viewers will choose the best dog-themed coin to invest in, the kind of dog-themed coin that you can put your savings in and sleep well at night knowing that they are secure. In March this year, we learned that when Credit Suisse and SoftBank work together to invest in a tech company that's not really a tech company, the losses can be really huge. I'm, of course, talking about the collapse of Greensill Capital. Greensill Capital was a so-called fintech company that focused on the provision of supply chain financing. Supply chain financing typically involves lending money to a company that's made a sale, but who won't collect the money for that sale for some time. Greensill was an innovator in this space because they would provide financing to companies not based on actual sales, but on sales that the companies hoped they might one day make. Greensill was a tech firm. Well, I guess they were a tech firm. They were a tech firm in the way that we work. The office rental company was a tech firm. They, they had some computers. Anyhow, the whole thing fell apart because it turns out that making loans based on sales that companies hope they might someday have is not nearly as good a business model as it initially sounds like. NFTs made the press in March of this year as Beeple, an artist who had rarely sold a print for more than $100, sold an NFT of his work for $69 million at Christie's, positioning him amongst the top three most valuable living artists, according to the auction house. A lot of people misunderstand NFTs and think that someone paid this huge sum of money for a JPEG, which would of course be ridiculous. An NFT is much more like a receipt stored on the blockchain. You don't get the JPEG, you just get a receipt showing that you paid for the JPEG. So that's a thing that you can buy if you want to. The boom in NFTs that followed allowed some of the great artists of the day like Logan Paul, I'm sorry, I'm not saying this, it's stupid. Let's move on. 
In March, the Ever Given, one of the largest container ships in the world, got stuck in the Suez Canal, giving us possibly the most easily understood financial crisis in world history. Global trade had ground to a halt because a big boat got stuck in a river. We all cheered for the little digger that had to free the Ever Given, and after six days, it was free. Now, the biggest financial news story of March was the meltdown of Archegos Capital Management. Archegos was Bill Huang's family office. Bill used total return swaps to make highly levered bets on a small number of stocks. And because he was in his 50s, he did this without boasting about it on Wall Street bets. When one of his bigger bets on Viacom CBS went sour, it set off a chain reaction where the prime brokers suddenly realized the risk they were exposed to, and they raced to dump their positions all at once. Slower-moving banks like Credit Suisse and Nomura were left holding the bag with billions of dollars in losses. In April, vaccinations finally became available to most people in the United States and Europe, and there was the promise that things would finally get back to normal. Around this time, the Boring Company opened the Las Vegas Loop, and journalists looked on in amazement as a few Teslas drove at speeds approaching 30 miles per hour in a small tunnel that's almost two miles long, a sight the likes of which had never been seen before. You have to understand that people hadn't been outside for quite a while, and the tunnels did have RGB lighting in them, which young people seem to love. The Las Vegas Loop is able to transport up to 1,355 passengers per hour. There are rumours that they might one day replace the Teslas with one of those little train things that kids ride on in parks, which will hugely increase the efficiency, speed and capacity of the system. The future is truly here. Now, as soon as people started going out again, we started hearing about supply chain disruptions. People wanted things like new cars, and there were none available. The price of oil took off as demand came roaring back. At first, when people heard about these supply chain disruptions, they thought another big boat had gotten stuck in a river. But it turned out that global supply chains and just-in-time inventory management had made our global economy more complex than we had realised. Towards the end of April, as vaccination rates increased, evidence began emerging that a great resignation was beginning in the United States. In April, a record 4 million Americans quit their jobs. There were a few reasons for this. The first was a backlog in resignations, as workers had clung on to their jobs during the pandemic. The resignation rate had been quite low for a while, so it's no surprise that there was an uptick. The pandemic may also have caused workers to rethink their careers, their work conditions and their long-term goals. Many professional workers, when allowed to work from home, had moved out of expensive and crowded cities and didn't want to return. Their new lower cost of living meant that they could afford to earn less while maintaining a similar lifestyle. The news was full of stories of people leaving places like California and New York for states like Texas and Florida. The service industry was the hardest hit by waves of resignations. While there's lots of anecdotal evidence, the data describing the Great Resignation will take a while to emerge, so we'll have to withhold judgment for now. The last big story I have from April is the $100 million deli in New Jersey, which was all over the news. 
David Einhorn complained in his letter to investors back in April that the stock market was in a state of quasi-anarchy. As evidence, he pointed out a restaurant in rural New Jersey called Your Hometown Deli, which despite making $13,976 in revenue the prior year, had somehow attained a value of $113 million on the stock market. It felt like the type of financial mystery that seemed to be everywhere this year more evidence that in 2021, money had stopped making sense. It eventually turned out that a Hong Kong-based company named Maso Capital had bought this quasi-dormant public company with the plan to merge it with a private company as a sort of mini-SPAC. In early May of this year, Elon Musk appeared on Saturday Night Live. Dogecoiners, the most primitive of the coiners, watched with bated breath, hoping that he would say something positive about their favourite coin. Instead, Musk described it as a hustle. Since that appearance, the price has quartered. Luckily, more dog-themed crypto coins would emerge over the year to randomly bestow riches on the trading public. Around the same time, someone must have told Elon Musk where Bitcoins come from, which caused him to suspend Tesla purchases using Bitcoin. Elon was concerned about the energy consumption of the network. And as we all know, Elon Musk's moods are the main drivers of Bitcoin's price and other associated dog-based tokens. So this announcement caused Bitcoin to almost half over the next few months. The people with the laser eyes were not happy with Elon in May. Now, while May was a tough month in crypto, June was a tough month for electric vehicles. Two of the top executives at Lordstown Motors had to step down when the electric truck makers board announced that they had found evidence of inaccurate statements made to investors. A board investigation concluded that the company had made misstatements about its order book. The Lordstown scandal, along with a few others, really took the shine off of SPACs in May. SPACs allow companies to go public earlier than traditional IPOs do, mostly because the deal is classified as a merger rather than as an IPO. This allows founders to rely on financial projections to tell a story that they probably couldn't tell by strictly relying on financial statements. Financial projections are not allowed in traditional IPOs, and so with a SPAC startup, executives are able to describe their vision of the company rather than the economic reality. And this can be dangerous for investors who don't understand the difference. July was an exciting month as we saw the start of the billionaire space race when Richard Branson flew in a rocket-powered plane close to space but not actually into space. It was a Sputnik moment that the other billionaires could not ignore. Nine days later, Jeff Bezos flew his oddly shaped rocket into space and afterwards awkwardly presented his mother with some cheap merch he had picked up from the Blue Origin gift shop. Elon Musk has not yet been to space, but he did send some other people up a sort of a beta test. Apparently, the full self-driving worked just fine. Mark Zuckerberg did not want to be left out of all of this, so he put on a VR headset and went to the metaverse, which he says is just as good. July was a big month for investors in Chinese companies. Didi, a Chinese ride-hailing company, raised $4.4 billion in its listing on the New York Stock Exchange. This was the biggest Chinese listing in the US since Alibaba had been listed seven years earlier. 
The stock initially rallied and then two days later it was announced that Chinese regulators were investigating the company in order to maintain national security and protect the public interest. Earlier this month, it was announced that Didi would delist from the New York Stock Exchange and pursue a Hong Kong listing. Around the same time in July, Beijing outlawed China's for-profit education industry, destroying the value of Chinese education stocks. Beijing's measures came as part of President Xi Jinping's drive for what he calls common prosperity. These manoeuvres raised the question for investors as to whether they should invest in China at all if the government is likely to overhaul entire business models overnight. August brought us the start of the European energy crisis, which is still ongoing. Heavy reliance on wind power coupled with a shortage of natural gas led to a spike in energy prices in August. Natural gas and electricity prices were already high in Europe when the wind in the North Sea stopped blowing this summer. Russia, a major supplier of gas to Europe, was accused by some European politicians of deliberately withholding supplies in an effort to win approval of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which would send fuel directly to Germany bypassing Ukraine. Germany is shutting down three of its last six nuclear power stations today as it turns its focus to renewables. The final three plants are expected to be turned off in December 2022. As I said, this situation is ongoing and the UK's energy crisis got even worse last week as the gas market prices reached a new all-time high of £4.50 per term, about nine times higher than the price this time last year. With Russia threatening Ukraine right now, we have to wonder to what extent European countries would get involved when they're so reliant on Russia for energy. China was back in the news in September and the crackdown on the education sector was quickly overshadowed by another set of government reforms related to the Common Prosperity Project, a crackdown on leverage across the real estate sector. Evergrande, the world's most indebted real estate developer, has since the summer been engulfed in a liquidity crisis that eventually resulted in a default earlier this month. China still managed to draw in foreign money throughout the year, despite all of these problems. Global holdings of Chinese stocks and bonds rose by $120 billion in the first nine months of the year from the end of 2020. People worried a lot about inflation this year. In November, the dollar store announced that they would be raising prices to $1.25 next year. Cameron Winklevoss tweeted that this showed that inflation was actually 25% rather than the widely reported 6%. Joe Wiesenthal replied to that tweet asking if Cameron agreed that based on the same data, inflation had been 0% between 1986 and 2021. Other big news in November was that Elon Musk posted a Twitter poll asking his followers if he should sell some of his Tesla stock. They said that he should, and so he did. A South Korean survival drama named Squid Game became hugely popular on Netflix, and so a hastily thrown together cryptocurrency was launched and quickly rug pulled. The Omicron variant of COVID appeared in November too, and as soon as it was announced, a cryptocurrency named Omicron rallied around a thousand percent, because as we all know, this is how markets work in 2021. 
The biggest financial news of December was when Joe Biden's Build Back Better Act, the $1.75 trillion investment in social and climate programs, hit a wall when Senator Joe Manchin said that he would oppose the bill, saying that more fiscal restraint is needed at a time of rising inflation. At year-end, we see that the S&P 500 had a great year. It was up almost 30% for the year at the time of this recording. Global mergers and acquisitions soared to their highest level since records began more than 40 years ago. 1,058 companies went public over the course of the year, but despite this record-breaking run, two-thirds of the companies that went public in the US this year are now trading below their IPO prices. The best-performing IPO of the year was Digital World Acquisition Company, the SPAC that's taking Donald Trump's media startup company public. DWAC is up over 400% since the IPO, despite not having any digital media assets in place. If there's one thing that was made clear in 2021, it's that stock market performance is unrelated to details like earnings and business operations. That's all for now. Have a great new year and see you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.